You may be seated. Morning again. Um, I want to do just a little qualifier before we get started. Uh, the Matthew chapter 2 text does not talk about why Jesus became a man, but it does one thing for us. It shows us how the New Testament writers saw the Old Testament, specifically when prophecy was being fulfilled about the Messiah. And we'll look at that again as we go through our, our message today. But there's other texts that do that, but as we read in Matthew chapter 2, you will see where Matthew quotes scripture, quotes prophecy concerning the Messiah. And we'll say more of that as we go along, but I just wanted to mention that up front. So why did Jesus become a man? You know, every year we sing songs about it. We adorn our homes with scenes and reminders of it. We greet strangers with as glad tidings, as it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, good news of great joy. We're talking about Christmas, the time of year when we rejoice in the birth of Christ. Now, let me just stop there for a second. Christ is not a created being. We're celebrating when he came incarnate and took on human flesh, okay? Christmas is a time of festive lights ornaments and family gatherings it's a time of shopping we go looking for that perfect Christmas gift our holiday traditions are wonderful ways to enjoy the Christmas season but we must never forget what Christmas is really all about I mean after all it's the most significant point in history or the most significant event in all of human history. The Christmas story is a culmination of hundreds of years of prophecy. From Genesis to Isaiah to Micah, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies concerning the Messiah. These ancient words regard not only his coming, but also in the manner of his coming, the location of his birth, his ancestry, his life, and even his death. It's a story that started way back in the Garden of Eden, but it ended at the tomb that was found empty. Although God supernaturally and sovereignly orchestrated each detail, the Christmas story is filled with fascinating human personalities. Ladies, imagine being Mary, a virgin literally carrying the Son of God within your womb. Men, imagine being Joseph, Mary's loyal and faithful husband. Imagine experience the visitation by angels that were sent by God. You see, wrapped in this shroud of holy mystery are very real human emotions. Can I just say that as passing? These are human beings. Other than Christ, we're talking about human beings like you and I. All of them had dreams and aspirations, what they want to do with their life. Let's not rob them of that. You must imagine being Mary or Joseph in this story. And furthermore, there are scenes worthy of a cinematic experience. The Messiah, the King of Kings, born in an outdoor manger. 
The first ones to worship him were shepherds, lowly, dirty shepherds, the outcasts of society. And of course, you had that magnificent star that led the Magi to the child. From now until the end of this year, we'll rediscover all the beautiful, majestic, divine elements of the Christmas story. And we'll see by examining question by question that this one moment in time was the most pitiful moment of all time. And this one thing we can definitely say, this had to be or is a work of God. I wonder how Mary must have felt when she gazed down at her newborn child. You know, any child that we get is truly a miracle from heaven, but this one was indeed a gift. A child set apart from every other child that had been born or will be born. The angel Gabriel had spoke directly to her, and her heart confirmed what he said was true, that this child that she held was the Son of God. Yet, I seem to think that Mary must have had many questions as well, such as, why did Jesus become a man? Now, the Bible provides answers to this vital question, and let's turn to that question now. The first reason, Jesus became a man to satisfy the prophecies of the Old Testament. Everything that was written about Christ in the Old Testament was fulfilled. The Old Testament prophets spoke frequently about a coming champion. From Genesis to Malachi, every page trembles with the wondrous anticipation of his coming. Consider the words of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written, me in, written in, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Now consider this, the prophetic books written by many different writers over various times. And we're not just talking 50, 100 years, we're talking centuries. These prophets wrote about the coming Messiah. And throughout their words, there's glimmers of a savior, a king who would come rescue his people and restore them to God. The prophet spot, the, excuse me, the prophet spoke of this one who was to come. Do you know there are more than 300 Pacific prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament? Over 300 of them concerning the Messiah. Isaiah said the coming Messiah would be miraculously born, born of a virgin, and his name would be called Emmanuel. Now Isaiah wrote those words not a year before, not 10 years before, not 20 years before, not 50 years before, but hundreds of years before the event even happened. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah offered a prediction that was both specific and startling. He said this king would be born in Bethlehem and that he would come from the distant past. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And if you paid attention to Matthew chapter 2, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2, that's how his people told Herod where the Messiah was to be born because they knew what the prophet had spoken. Jeremiah prophesied that the birthplace of the Messiah would suffer a massacre of infants. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Verses 16 through 18 of Matthew chapter 2, that's what Herod did when he had learned that the Magi deceived him. He had every child within Bethlehem in his vicinity killed. When he determined what time the Magi said, they saw the sign. Now, for this time and sake purposes, I'm going to go through all 300. Are you happy about that? Yeah, it's okay to say amen to that. <laughs> but more than 300 Old Testament, put your mind around that, more than 300 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. The mathematician said, that for all these prophecies to be filled by one person would be one in 83 billion. But he has fulfilled every last one of them. So he came. And the way he came and what he did was all prophesied years and centuries before. But Jesus became a man to show us the Father. Many people want a direct contact with God. Can I just, as a side note, how many would you like to have a direct contact to Congress or the White House? You had a hotline you just called. Would you like to have that? So you have direct contact with God through Christ. Long, long, many people long to have a confirmation of the reality of God. They want to see God. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Now listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me have seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And responding to Philip's plea to see the Father, Jesus emphatically states that seeing him, Jesus, is, in fact, seeing the Father. Philip already had contact with what he was requesting for. He wanted to see God. Well, there he was in the flesh. So if you want to know God, you know who Jesus is. Jesus teaches you who God is. Everything you read about in the Gospels, everything he did, talked, how he conducted himself, that is God in action. That is God working. Get to know Jesus. Because that's the only way you can become a Christian. Is to know Jesus because he is the way that you know God. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know God? Come to Jesus. You want to feel the love of God? Come to Jesus. You want to talk to God? Go to Jesus. 
He is, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. See, God's not somewhere up here. He's right here amongst us, amidst us, and in us. Jesus became a man to save us from our sins. We needed a God-man to save us. And because Jesus was, the God, was God and man, this is a beautiful picture. He took one hand, lifted it up to the Father. He took the other hand and reached down to man. And in that cross, in that moment, he put them together. See, he became a man because he, be, he was the perfect sacrifice, a substitutionary death. Because you go back to the Garden of Eden, what did God tell Adam and Eve? As soon as you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. We needed a perfect sacrifice. Bulls and goats, they couldn't do it. But Jesus came, took on human flesh, lived perfectly, and laid his life down to take our place, to take the death that we deserve. If Christ had not come, the chorus of humanity would be one long downward, hopeless trudge through the eternal night of despair. Oh, I'm trying not to get excited now. But Almighty God interrupted all that. Aren't you glad? He shut down the cycle of sin by sending Jesus to be our Savior. I don't know where you were when Jesus got a hold of you. I don't know everyone's story. But my life was radically changed. See, if you never put trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot know him. Without knowing him, you can't know God. And without accepting him, you cannot be forgiven. He is Lord, regardless if you accept him or not. But by him accepting, I mean inviting you into your heart. See, Jesus is at the right hand of God right now. What comes to your heart is the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writing to young Timothy says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That was his mission. That's what he wanted to accomplish. Jesus became a man to sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't care who you are. Please listen to me. I don't care who you are, what you have done, or what's going on in your life. You can be confident that Jesus does indeed hear you and understand you. He's experienced everything that you have experienced, yet he did it without sin. I'd like to share a story with you that would kind of illustrate this point. It's about a plastic surgeon. His name was Dr. Maxwell Maltz, M-A-L-T-Z. And he tells of a man who had been injured attempting to rescue his elderly parents out of a house that was on fire, but he was able to, unable to save them, and of course his parents perished. He was burned over a great part of his body, and his face was badly disfigured. He mistakenly interpreted what had happened to him as a, as a uh, punishment put, on him, put to him by God for not getting out his parents safely. He thought it was his fault. God was punishing him. In his anguish, he refused to let anyone see him, not even his wife. 
Now, his wife went and saw the doctor. The doctor told her, Dr. Maltz told his wife, yes, I can fix him. But she knew her husband would turn down any offer of plastic surgery. So she went back to see the doctor again. Now, let me read this because this is very striking. She went back to the doctor, and he asked, why would you come? This is what she said. Quote, I want you to disfigure my face so that I can be like him. If I can share in his pain, then maybe he will let me back into his life, end of quote. Maltz, referring on, uh, reflecting on this uh, years afterwards, he said, I, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. I've always been paid to help people look better, but she wanted me to make me look like her husband. He said, I wouldn't do it. But he decided to go and tell her husband what she had told him. He knocked on the man's door and said loudly, I'm the plastic surgeon. I want to know that I can restore your face. But there was no response. Please come out, he said again. Again, no response, no answer. Still speaking through the door, Dalton Maltz told the man about his wife's proposal. She wants me to disfigure her face to make her face like yours in the hope that you will let her back into your life. That's how much she loves you. There was a brief moment of silence, and then ever so slowly, the doorknob began to open. The way that woman felt about her husband, oh, please hear me, is the way that God feels about you. Because a man, God became a man so that he would be touchable, approachable, and reachable. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points as we are, yet was, was tempted in all points like we are, but yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace in time of need. <laughs> he knows what you're going through. He's walked a mile in your shoes. He knows it's like to be tired, hungry, frustrated. It doesn't say so in the scriptures, but some of those stories I read in the Gospels, I kind of sense that Jesus might get a little frustrated with disciples. He knows it's like when all your friends turn and run. Perhaps one of your closest friends will say, I will never leave you even to death. And of course, Peter, you know, denied him three times. But you can go boldly, confidently to that throne of grace. And you can gain mercy and find grace in time of need. Jesus became a man to secure our hope of heaven. He came down so you can go up. Until Christ comes to live within your heart, you're not fit for heaven. You come to God by coming to Jesus because Jesus is God. And Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for our sins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, one day, he will come. And if we're alive, when he comes again, we'll hear the trumpet. 
And as the scriptures say, we'll meet him in the air. If we should die before he comes, our body goes into the grave, but our spirit will be up with him. As Paul says, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, said Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Now, if Almighty God has fulfilled all 300 prophecies that are written about the first coming of Christ, and we started going through Revelation earlier this year, we'll pick it up next year to finish out, and all those things that we were told, you can bet that every precise detail will be fulfilled in his second coming. And we can be also confident that it's a matter of if he comes, it's more of a question when he comes. Think about that. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they read about this coming Messiah, knew where he's going to be born, knew Pacific about his life, what he was going to do. We've been also told about the coming Messiah, his second coming, what will happen. It reminds me that I shouldn't watch the news all kind of shocked. Jesus told me what was going to happen. And you know what? It's starting to happen just like he told us it would. He told disciples, I'll tell you all these things. This is Tim's interpretation. So you won't freak out when it happens. I told you things because you know you'd be ready. Everything that God has said about the second coming of his son will be fulfilled in the same precise way. There's a story I came across about a, about a young boy. He was 10 years old. School was out for Christmas, and the family had chosen to spend the holiday in the country. The boy would press his nose against that big bay window in the vacation home. And he marveled at the British winter that they were experiencing. He was happy to get away from London and the black roads. He loved to see that cotton white snow over the bushes and over the hills. His mom invited him to go on a ride one day, and he quickly accepted. The car snaked down a twisty road. The tires were crunching the snow as they went. And you ever done this? I've done it, and I hate when my girls would do this, but they blow your breath into the window and start drawing. He would do that. Anybody ever did that before? I'm the only one, huh? <laughs> he was thrilled. But as they continued the drive, his mother began to get a little anxious. She could tell this was more than just a normal snowstorm. It began to fall real heavy. Visibility lessened. And she took a curve. Car started to slide, and it didn't stop until it went to a ditch. Well, she tried to drive out. She couldn't do it. Charlie got out and tried to push the car for his mom, and, of course, all that did was dig him in deeper. Well, there was a house about a mile down the road, so they decided to go there and get some help. So they went down to the, that house about a mile down, and they knocked on the door, and the woman told them, of course, come on in. Come on in and... Warm yourselves. The phone is yours. She offered them cookies and tea and urged them to stay until help arrived. Is this an ordinary event? Don't suggest that to the woman who opened that door that day. She has never forgotten that day. 
And she's retold that story thousands of times as if she only told it once. And who could blame her? It's not often that royalty appears on your porch. The two that were stranded that day were Queen Elizabeth and her 10-year-old boy, Charles, heir of the throne of England. See, the message of Christmas, dearly beloved, is that royalty has walked down our streets. Heaven's prince has knocked on our door, and yet God has moved into our neighborhood. The Almighty God is here. He's not far away. The one true living God is close at hand. He is our Savior. The Christ of Christmas is here. Emmanuel, God with us. I started an introduction by saying that we spend a lot of time this time of year in this season looking for that perfect Christmas gift. Jesus Christ is the perfect Christmas gift. And he was given for all of humanity. If you've never already done so, I would invite you to come in just a moment and receive that gift. It's a, it's a gift. It doesn't cost a thing. You just come up and you talk to him. Admit to the fact that you're a sinner. That means we missed the mark. That's what the word means. We've broken God's laws. You ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand now, you're probably lying. One of the Ten Commandments, y'all shall about enough, you should not bear false witness. Never stole anything, taking anything that belonged to somebody else without their permission, no matter how small or big. That is called stealing. You ever gotten mad in traffic or hit your hand in the door and used the holy name of God as a filthy, profane word as taking the Lord God's name in vain? That's only three or four of the commandments, and we're guilty of breaking it. When you admit to confess, you're not telling him something he doesn't already know. But you're coming to him to receive that gift, the gift of eternal life, that gift of salvation, the gift of mercy and peace. If you've already done that one part in your life, then praise God for that. But I ask you to do this. I would ask you as an individual, as a family, as a local body, as a community, as a county, we're all residents of Montague County, we're residents of the state of Texas, also as citizens of this country that we live in, and also citizens of the world. I would ask you this. If you were received that gift, then I would invite you today to go to the throne of grace. Because I think, no, let me back up. I believe that you agree with me wholeheartedly that now, more than ever, we need help. We need mercy. Would you be that man or woman who stands in the gap and petitions God. Intercessory prayer is what we call it. 
perhaps God has revealed something to you about your relationship with him. It's that still, small voice. You keep ignoring it, it will eventually go away. And I'm going to close with this. Everybody is aware of the horrific event that's happened in Wise County just a few days ago. Her grandfather made a post on social media. I'm not going to get into all the details, but he said something that really touched me. He said in all his anger and his flesh, he was so mad at this person for doing what they'd done. He, he would just, if he put him in front of me, he'd just want to kill him. But that still small voice was telling him, you have to forgive him. To make a long story short, he kind of ended with this. If I was to give in to that hate, that hate will consume me. I can't give in to the hate. I've got to keep listening to that small, still voice. Perhaps that's where we are as a country. You know, Wormans tells us that God, eventually, I'll say, fine, you don't want me. I'll step back. Please, if, if you're hearing that small voice in your head, probably telling you to do something that's uncomfortable, out of your comfort zone, I encourage you, listen to it. Because if you ignore it for so long, it will go away. Please be sensitive to God's voice this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, this wonderful opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the gift of your son. Father, we can't fully comprehend everything. But Father, we thank you that you do not leave us alone in our sin and our shame, but you sent your son to be our savior. And Father, I lift up those within the sound of my voice that are now even struggling. They would come before your throne of grace. And lift their petitions up to you. And pray for those who have not answered the call of salvation, have not taken that free gift, that, Father, you would soften hearts Open up ears and minds to receive that free gift. Father, nothing we can ever do. There's nothing we could ever do. Nothing we could ever give that would even begin to pay you back for what you have done. So, Father, we offer up our lives and we simply say hallelujah. We lift up our praises to you again and again and again. I thank you for the ones gathered here. I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to move among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.